Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. We are um, wrapping up our series today, God with Us. We're in a series, and what we're doing is we're, um, today specifically, we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus. Um, and we'll talk about what the incarnation is. It's not the thing that you buy at the at Save-A-Lot that you put with desserts and stuff. It's not a carnation, it's a incarnation. Um, but we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus, and we're answering the question, where is God in the tough times of life? When I'm going through it, where is God? And we're wrapping that up today. And so we talk about the, in, the incarnation. What is the incarnation? So in order to uh, clearly define this in a way that everybody would understand, I went to the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. I went to Google to determine exactly what is the incarnation. And I want to read this to you, and it's going to clarify of this big theological idea. What is the incarnation? I found it def- defined this way. Okay, ready for it? In Christian theology, the doctrine of the incarnation holds that Jesus, the preexistent divine logos, and the second hypostasis of the Trinity, God, the Son, and the Son of the Father, taking on the human body and human nature, was made flesh, conceived in the womb of Mary, the, the Theotokos. The doctrine of the incarnation then entails that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, two natures joined in hypostatic union. Now that, now that we understand what the incarnation is, I'd like to get on to more complex things. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just so you guys, if you're wondering, um, I, have, uh, I have been in Bible college, and I don't understand half of what that said. So you're in good company. I don't get it. But the incarnation is simply this. It is simply the moment that Jesus stepped out of heaven as God, and he was born as a baby on this earth. And this is what Christmas is all about, that God became man. Let's read about it in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. You guys should know this story pretty well. If you've not been in church ever, you probably have some idea what this is all about anyway. um, Starting in verse 18, it says this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will take his, uh, save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. It was actually a really popular name at the time. Um, sometimes I go to a restaurant, and I get served by Jesus himself uh, when I go to a Mexican restaurant. Um, hey, Zeus. My boss got an email one time, and it was from this guy in our company named Jesus. And she looked up, and she said, I just got an email from Jesus. It was great. Uh, but the, the, um, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. 
And the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel, means God is with us. God is with us. That's the big idea today, that God, in, in this whole month, that God is with us. There's, there's so much more to it than just those three words, God with us. The idea that the, the God of this universe would choose to be close to his creation Instead of what so many different religions would believe that God would, would create something and choose to be far from it, to distance themselves from it, we serve a God that chose to be close to His creation. And that carries an immense weight. Many of us grew up hearing just the opposite from those around us. We heard that God was this almighty dictator, that He just was waiting for us to screw up so He could punish us like we deserved. The name Emmanuel, God with us, changes the game for those of, our, uh, of us that call ourselves Christians. We believe that God, Jesus, became man and made his home among us. And that, that God, through the Holy Spirit, still chooses to make his home among us today. In fact, today... When we get saved, when, when we have this experience called salvation, from that moment, God chooses to live inside of our hearts. He chooses that the God of the universe chooses not only to be among us, to, but to be in us, to be with us. That word Emmanuel. When I was young, I was about, I think I was like four years old. Um, my brother and myself and my friend, our best friend at the time, his name was Ben, we all went to the park. And, uh, you know, it wasn't in, like, the best part of town, but it was fun. It was the only park we had. So my my friend Ben and I, we were playing over by the slides. Y'all remember those slides that were metal, and they would, like, literally burn the skin off your legs as you go down? If you weren't sweaty enough, you'd get caught on the slide and have to scoot your way down. Just me. Uh, If I had videos from me scooting down those slides, I'd play them, but y'all would laugh real hard, but... um, there's always that terrible sound of just skin, like, you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, I digress. Um, but we're, my friend Ben and I, we were playing over by these metal slides, and then all of a sudden, there was like rocks started getting hurled at us. Like, not like small, like pebbles, but like big rocks, which, you know, they were probably like this, this big, really, but at the time they were like this big, because I... I'm not too tall today, and so I wasn't very big then either. Um, but their rocks started getting thrown, thrown at us. And then these, this group of four kids, they came over, and they just they pushed me to the ground. They pushed my friend Ben to the ground. And then my brother came out of nowhere and just, wow, got one of them. Now, listen, this is not me saying fight, because don't fight. But at the time, I was really glad he did. Um, but my brother came out of nowhere, and he just... Dropped this kid, and uh, he was like, he was five, I think, at the time, and, and he stood there. I don't know how he did it, but all these four kids, he just, he fought, he just fought every one of them at the same time, and, and he sent them packing. All the while, Ben and I were up on top of the slides, so I'm not, I'm not helping at all. He's like, I'm down there, I'm up there watching him, he's fighting. I'm like, yeah, go, and he's like fighting four kids, and I was just up there watching, but you know what? In that moment, I was really glad that my brother was with me. What would have happened if he wasn't? I don't know. I probably got, would have got hit by another rock or whatever. But over the years, my brother Merritt and I have really gotten into some pretty sticky situations together. Most of them were our fault. Some of them not so much. 
But I knew that one thing that I could always count on, no matter what it was, no matter how sticky of a situation, how messy of a situation, the one thing that I could always count on is the fact that he would never bail on me. He would never turn his back. He'd never run. He'd never leave me. When we faced something, we faced it together, back to back, ready to attack. I just made that rhyme up. (laughs) Y'all pray for me. Um, But you know what? I'm sure that you guys have someone like that in your life, too. I'm sure that you, no matter what you go through, you're going through it together. You can always count on the fact that they're always going to be with you no matter how messy it looks. They They don't leave you to fend for yourself no matter what the situation looks like. You know, God is the same way. That in the tough moments, in the hardest moments of your life, God doesn't leave you to fend for yourself. He doesn't leave you by yourself. He doesn't hang back and watch to see how you're going to handle it. No, He's with you. And in fact, God is with us in a whole lot of places that we really don't expect Him to be. Number one, you can write this down. If you're taking notes this morning, you got your little message notes are in your uh, packet of cards there. Number one, we, can ex- we don't expect God to be there, but God is with you in your doubt. God is with you in your doubt. Luke chapter 1, verse 28, starting there, says this, that the angel went to her, went to Mary, and said, Greetings, you are, who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Okay, what do you want? Like, and you know, it's funny because every time that an angel appears in the Bible, the first thing that they have to say is, don't be scared. <laughs> like, because they're, like, they're not like, if you look at like, what an angel, when they're described in the Bible, they don't always look like the, the guy with the wings that are flapping ever so lightly. No, they got like 10 eyes and eight wings, and they're just looking creepy and crazy. Um, what, and so they have to say, don't, don't be scared, which, of course, probably startles them more. But anyway, uh, greetings to your highly favored. The Lord's with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and birth... Uh, and give birth to a son, and, you're call, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Could you imagine being Mary for a moment? Just, just for a moment. One day... You think about, you're just thinking about how awesome, how exciting it's going to be that you get to marry Joseph. You're, you're all in love and caught up, and you're like so excited. Yes, this wedding's going to be great. You spent your life thinking about that moment. And then an angel appears and kind of confuses your plans a little bit. Like, this is not the way that it's supposed to work out. The angel tells Mary that God's plan is to bring Jesus into the world through her. And I'm sure what's running through her head is, uh, first, how, (laughs) because uh, I don't know if any kids are in the room, but she's a virgin. How does that work? And then her second thought was probably, oh, great. I wonder what kind of problems this is going to cause me, because it's not Joseph's baby. And and how's it going to look if I run around and tell people, no, this is the child of God, 
I don't know if I'm sure people still do that today, but no, I didn't do that. This is God. This is God's baby. I didn't cheat on you. This is God's baby. But because to Mary, having a child before she was married, especially with a man other than her fiancé, was enough to get her stoned. And you're like, well, at least you'd have some sort of relief. I'm not talking about recreationally stoned here, okay? No, I'm talking about it was a form of, of punishment. It was a form of um, it would kill you. They would stone you to death. And that means that people would, stoning is like you don't, you don't light it up, you just, you take a large rock and you just throw it, like as hard as you can. Kind of like those kids did to me at the playground. Uh, they were, I guess they were just being biblical, I don't know. They're, we shouldn't have fought them. They were just, they were sticking the Bible, whatever. Um, but Mary could have been stoned because of having a baby outside of her, what, outside of her marriage. She could have been killed for it. So could you imagine what's going through Mary's mind? Okay, I was just told by God that I was blessed, and now God's putting me in a situation where I could be killed? That doesn't sound like blessing to me. Not to, uh, could you even, could you imagine that the doubt that must be running through Mary's mind of, like, of God and his goodness right now? Like, okay, God, you just said I'm blessed, and then you want to put me in a situation that I could be killed. What kind of God is that? And here's a simple question also that she's probably thinking of how. I'm not getting into that too much, but Mary had a right to question the situation. And I'm, it's not surprising to me that Mary probably doubted a bit. That's why she said, how, how are you going to do this? How is this going to happen? Mary doubted. And I'm sure that you found yourself at some point in your life doubting the presence of God or doubting God's goodness. Maybe some of you, that's you today. That you're currently having a hard time wrestling out the rationality of God. It doesn't make sense. If God's so good, why do bad things still happen? None of this makes sense. Maybe you're doubting today, but let me tell you something that you may not hear a lot. God is not afraid of your doubts. He's not. He's not afraid of you questioning your faith. I believe that every person needs to go through a moment where they question their faith. Because you'll never be solid in it until you do. There has to be a moment of questioning in order for there be, to be this solidification of your faith. God's not afraid of your doubts. He's not intimidated by your need to know. He's not angry about your rational thought. He gave you the brain that you think with. He's not angry about it. He's not upset. He just wants to show himself to you. God created you to think. He, got, he created you to be curious. I know there's probably many in here that have doubts. Will God do this for me? Does God even love me enough to answer my prayers? Is God even real? The answer is yes. And if you'll open yourself up to that possibility, I believe that God will prove to you that he's real and that he's good. What happens is when, you come, when, when it comes to belief, when it comes to your belief or lack of, you're going to find what you actively search for. If you're searching for God, you'll find him. 
If you're searching for um, every other option, you will find those options. Jeremiah 23 or 29, 13 says this. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You're going to find what you're looking for. If you actively look for a reason to not believe in God, I promise you, you'll be able to turn up with so many reasons that you cannot rationalize the existence of God. There's so many reasons when you try to look for Him. But, and let me play the advocate here, if you truly approach this thing with an untainted view and an open heart, I promise you, you're going to discover the existence of a very real God and one that cares for you. One that is close to you. You say, how do you know this? You're a a pastor. Of course you have a relationship with God. I wasn't always. I was an atheist for the first half of my life. I didn't believe. I, I rationalized it out. But there was a day that I had to come to God with an open heart, with no filters, and it was that day that he proved himself to me. He, sh- he showed himself. See, the, the, the hardest part about this is you do have to open yourself up. If you're, if you're truly questioning and you're truly wondering, you do have to come with an open heart, not closed off by what you believed before. You have to get rid of all the pre-existing thoughts and focus and, and truly search for him. There's this... Um, There's this book that was written, and a movie was made from it, called The Case for Christ. And uh, there was a reporter that set out, and I think it was in the 80s, he set out to disprove the existence of God. And and he took a long time, and what happened, and this is a real, true story, what happened is he actually proved to himself that God was very real. He set out to try to disprove his existence, and in, in... On the way, God proved himself to be very real in his life. There is a God that cares for you. He's so close to you. And he just wants to know you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this. And this is a crazy verse to me in the Bible. It says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. What does that mean? Even when we struggle to believe, and even when we struggle to trust God, even when we're actively opposing God, when we're faithless, when we're without faith, God is still there and He is still faithful to you and faithful to His promises. When I'm doubting God, guess where God is? Right beside me. Right beside me. Even when we struggle to believe. Your doubt does not drive God away. Just because you're doubting, it's not going to cause God to turn His back on you. God's with you in your doubt. Number two, God's with you in your darkness. In your darkness. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. God is with you in your darkness. And he showed that from the moment that he was born. Because the moment that he was born, these magi spotted a star in the sky. They spotted this glimmer of light. And the star did two things. Number one, it revealed the presence of the new king. It revealed that he, okay, he's in the earth. And and they knew what to look for because it was foretold for hundreds of years before that. 
And they looked for it, and they finally saw this star in the sky that revealed the, the presence of the king, and it also guided the Magi to find him. Not only did it reveal that he was there, but it was the guiding factor of them finding him in the first place. The Magi, these Magi traveled, uh, scholars believe, 400 to 500 miles in order to get to Jesus. If that's on camels, this, this isn't like what you see in the Christmas plays that um, the kids just crossed the stage, you know, and they're there at the manger. Um, in fact, these, uh, these magi didn't make it to Jesus when he was first born because on camelback, um, some say that it would take almost two months before they reached Bethlehem. They were, fi- they were following the star, and they went four to 500 miles, and it could take almost two months. But the thing about the star is that star only shines when it's dark outside. That's the only time you can see it. I've never seen a star that's visible during the daytime, other than the sun, obviously. But I've never seen another star visible during the daytime. It only shines when it's dark. One thing I've noticed is that on the darkest of nights, not the cloudiest, but the darkest of nights, that's when you can see the clearest lights in the sky. And I would assume that these magi had to do a large portion of their travel by night because they're using the star as their guide point. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus has grown up at this point, and he says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. And you know what? Sometimes you have to be in the darkness to discover that. He could call himself the light of the world, but it's never, that's never proven until it's tested, right? He can shine in the darkness. The Bible says that when Jesus returns to rule over the earth, that he's going to sit in the middle of a place called New Jerusalem. Okay, the earth's been restored and New Jerusalem is there. And Jesus is sitting in the center of it. And there's no other light source that's necessary because Jesus is going to light up the entire place like the human light bulb. He's going to shine like he, he's going to actively shine and light up every corner, every crevice. And there's going to be no need for lamps. There's going to be no need for these things that blind me. There's going to be no need for any of that because Jesus is going to light it up. Are you in a dark place? I know some of us are. I know holidays for... You guys know that more people will take their lives between Thanksgiving and the end of the year than the rest of the months can bind. So I know, looking at you, that some of you out there are in a dark place this morning. But let me encourage you. God's right there with you. He's not left you. He's not left you alone. He's not, le- He's not abandoned you. Don't let the presence of your darkness declare that God is not here. The presence of your dark place does not mean the absence of God. Maybe this is a place of wondering for you. Maybe it's a, a place of pain or a place of trouble. I don't know what the darkness is to you. But I can tell you this, that God does His best work in the middle of our darkness He does his best work there. God's with you in your turmoil. He's with you in your pain. He's with you in your confusion. 
And he has one desire to bring light to your situation and reveal himself to you. And you know what? I have yet to see a darkness so dark that it can extinguish a light. It's impossible to do that. You know why? Because darkness is not the presence of dark. Darkness is the absence of light. Do you guys see the difference there? Darkness is not caused by something that made it dark. Darkness is caused by a lack of something bringing light. If you're in darkness right now, you just need to look for the presence of God. Look for the light of the world. He's there. And if you ask Him, He's going to bring light to whatever you're going through. Psalm chapter 119 verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So many times we ask God to help us through uh, something or shine a light on, on what's next. And God's going to answer us, but He'll only reveal one step at a time. Because it doesn't say that God's a flashlight. It says He's a lamp. He's a lantern. A lamp only reveals one, maybe two steps ahead of your current position. If you ever held a lamp at night and walked, you can't really see everything. You can just see this, this circle that's around you. God's not going to illuminate a 10-year ten, ten, uh, life plan for you, showing you how every step you need to take in order to make you successful. No, God's going to take you through the 10 years, but it'll just be one step at a time. And you know, this hit me when I was, I was studying for this message. Uh, you know that the closer that you hold your lantern to the ground, the less um, ground that the lantern is lighting up. The less light there is, the, the, the closer you hold it to the ground. Have you ever done that? You've just kind of seen your flashlight or your lantern, you've lowered it down, you, and you see that the circle just shrinks the closer that you get. But the higher that you lift the lantern, the more lights that, that is cast around you. There's a reason that people don't put their lamps on the ground, that they hang them on the ceiling because they need light to get to their surroundings. Some of you right now are in this dark place and you need to pick your light up off the floor. You need to start lifting up the name of Jesus in your life. You need to start worshiping Him. You need to start thanking Him for what He's doing and going to do because when we lift up the light of the world he begins to shine over our entire situation until soon there is no darkness left if we elevate the light of the world if we honor him he's going to shine light on our situation it may feel dark but god is with you in your darkness and then number three number three god is with you in your dirt God is with you in your dirt. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, Jesus. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there is no guest room available for them. See, a manger is, is this. A manger is like this, this place that the cows and horses and other barnyard animals and cattle would eat from. It's essentially a manger is a trough. It's a feeding place. And this manger was placed inside of stalls. And this is where the animals ate. This is where they slept. This is also where they used the restroom. So here we have the newborn king of the universe being born in the gloomiest, smelliest, dirtiest place that he could be born. Why? 
to show you that he's not afraid of your mess. Jesus is not afraid of the mess. He's not afraid of the dirt. Instead of being born in an immaculate place, surrounded by servants, born into a rich family with influence, Jesus chose to be born in a dirty, messy cattle stall, surrounded by animals, much like some of us today at Thanksgiving and Christmas time, surrounded by animals, born into nothing special, just a stepson of a, car, of a carpenter. Because God is not afraid of your mess. He was born in it. He was born in your mess. He was born in the dirt. He was born in the nastiest place to prove to you it's not going to drive him away. There's this story that I just love in the Bible. And what happens is in the morning, this lady gets drug in to, this, to the temple where Jesus is. She gets drug in and these guys that are dragging her, they're called Pharisees and they were the religious elite of the day. And they're dragging her in and they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They try to trap Jesus because they don't like him. They try to trap him with his words. They say, teacher, she was caught in the act of adultery. According to the law, we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus says that Jesus bent down and he started writing in the dirt. Now listen, this, this woman was probably in the most shameful place of her life because she was caught in the act of adultery. You know what that means? They snatched her up and brought her in the temple and she didn't have time to put all her clothes back on. She didn't have time to pamper herself up, get it all nice and, and ready to go. No, she's drug into the temple because she's just been caught in the act. And they bring her to Jesus. She's probably filled with shame and guilt, emotions that many of us face in our lives. They say, what do you say, Jesus? What should we do to her? And Jesus bends down, and he starts writing in the dirt. He starts writing something, and he says this. He said, he didn't, I like, to, I like to, to picture what's happening here, and I like to think that Jesus didn't even look up at him. He's just writing in the dirt. He said, you without, you without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. If you've never messed up, you go ahead and throw that stone. It's, the Bible says that the Pharisees left, starting with the oldest and going to the youngest, until there was no one left in the temple except Jesus and this woman. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. Jesus said, neither do I. Now go on and leave your life of sin. See, some... Some say that when Jesus knelt down, he was writing the Jewish law. Some say that he was writing the sins of every single one of the Pharisees. But the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. And I believe that that was for a reason. Because what Jesus wrote was not as important where Jesus was. See, this woman gets drug in, shameful, guilty, probably not able to bear life. And I guarantee her head was hanging low. And it says that Jesus knelt down. 
He started writing in the dirt. It doesn't matter what he was writing because Jesus just wanted to catch her eyes. He wanted to get down to the place that she was looking because he needed her to know, I'm not scared of your dirt. As she hung her head in shame, Jesus just wanted her to look at him. Keep your eyes on me. She's probably tempted to look up, to look around at her accusers, the people that brought her in, to see who's gonna throw the first stone because she's probably a little terrified. Jesus said, no, 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 don't worry. Don't worry about them. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. Look right here. And she's probably, I've got, but I've got to cover up. I've got to, I've got to hide myself. No. Don't worry about cleaning up your mess. Keep your eyes on me. I've got you. I'm here. I'm not afraid of your mess. I'm not afraid of your shame. I'm not afraid of your dirt. Jesus wants you to know this morning. He is here, and he always will be right here, trying to catch your eyes in your shame, in your guilt, in your dirt. He's kneeling down, and he's looking for you. God is not afraid of your dirt. Jesus Jesus was the only one that had a right to throw a stone. He was the only one that had never sinned in that room, and yet he chose not to. And that says a lot about our God. Instead of punishment, instead of justice, God chose grace and mercy and love. You may be weighed down this morning by the shame of your past, the shame of what you did last night, maybe the shame of what you're planning to do tonight. You may be weighed down by the burdens of bad decisions and broken morals. I can promise you today Jesus is looking at you right in the eyes and he's saying just set your eyes on me I've got you I'm not afraid of it your life doesn't intimidate God your life doesn't cause God to turn his back on you it doesn't matter how dirty it is how messed up it is there's nothing that you can do that will cause God to give up on you I want you to hear that this morning And God's not afraid of getting in that mess with you as he was born in the mess. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then... Have a great week.